listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Well, with that, we're in a series, and I would recommend you use your uh, camera on the QR code behind me. That's going to take you to our church website where we put all of the notes into the file so that as we later after our gathering, we upload the the, uh, the actual audio, you'll be able to follow along. But over these last couple of weeks in this series, we've gone, we've deep dived. This has been way less rah-rah. It's been way more taking a look at scripture, diving into some challenging thoughts. And I would, be, I would think it'd be the type of thing that you'd want to follow up on. And maybe as a family, as a couple, as an individual with some friends, kind of, kind of, um, um, ruminate on it, you know, uh, think it over, chew it up and, and digest it and think it over and, and process it because God has conversations with us. He doesn't rarely just declare one thing. It's a conversation. And I feel like he speaks to me through a series of conversations. And then I try to relate to you the conversation, although it takes me longer to relate to you than it does him to me. So um, with that, uh, today's title of our message within the series Apostolic Exiles are what I want to call violent then and now attacks. We kind of started touching on this idea before baptism last, wasn't baptism awesome? It was awesome last week. It was so cool. Um, but the week before that, I began to talk about the violent attacks that the kingdom suffers and use this verse and we'll dive into this for the next couple of weeks. Matthew eleven twelve says, for from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And that word violence is uh, biazo in the, in the uh, New Testament verbiage in that Greek. It's a forceful behavior intended to hurt, damage, or kill something or someone. And so as we look at our study in the kingdom of, of heaven, uh, the kingdom that, that was established within the Garden of Eden, there was definitely a violent attack. And today, I'm going to focus on some of the attacks that happened right then and there in the garden and which it's so amazing, these are the most effective and repeated attacks that happen in modern day. I've watched it through years of being a youth pastor, being a pastor. I've watched, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy has a couple of key points and they really are buried in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis because if he can negate the truths that God spoke in those first three chapters, then all the other chapters must be negated, right? In fact, if he can negate in your heart and your mind, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God, there was an attack on that with Eve. And that's an attack that I've watched happen in so many people's lives. A lot of people like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I even really believe in God. That's, the, you know, that's how the, the enemy whispering in their ear. And so we're going to pray this morning. And I'm going to pray that our hearts are, are open, soft soil, so that the word of God can land, take root. We can grow and we can mature and take full advantage of the kingdom that God has established. It is suffering violence. But the Bible says the violent take it by force. Get your attitude on this morning, my friend. Wind and waves. Mm. Watch out, wind and waves. Here we come. Amen. All right, Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the scripture. It's been generations that never had it. It's been generations that the word of God was stolen from them and burned, but we have it today. I've got so many copies available to me. It's amazing. I thank you for it. Thank you for this beautiful place to be able to speak in, beautiful people to hear your word. Uh, amazing thing called the internet that people are listening right now. They can listen anytime that they want. 
Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunities we have to declare your word. It feels like the end times when you said that, and my word shall be preached to every nation and then the end will come. And so until the end comes, Lord, we're gonna do our best as a family to preach your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Give him a big hand again before you're seated. And you can just kind of follow along, grab your Bible, but I'll give you a quick refresher here. Um, and this slide lists really out what we've covered so far in this series. Um, we talked about the kingdom of heaven, how it's eternally existed since the beginning. And God then began to extend it to the earth. I talked about the idea that there was something that happened on the earth that was chaotic and brought chaos to that kingdom. And we see that in Genesis, between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. Because it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says in verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. And I explained, God doesn't create anything without form and void. That that word was is the same Hebrew word that means to become. Like Mary was with child. How many of you know Mary wasn't born pregnant? She became pregnant. Mary was with child. The earth was without form and void. And in that little gap, I don't know how big that gap is. To be honest with you, I don't know what's happened on the earth before the Garden of Eden. I, it appears I'm on a need-to-know basis, and it appears I don't need to know. However, I can speculate. And when you do the math, there are a lot of Christians that will argue that there's no such thing as dinosaurs because the earth's only 6,000 years old. I don't know. There's an awful lot of dinosaur bones. That's one incredible ruse that somebody's playing burying them every place. I don't know that carbon dating is necessarily accurate to the degree that we think it is because it's not a controlled environment. But what I will say is they're discovering cities that are, are more than 6,000 years old. Who knows what happened on this planet before God began to do Genesis chapter one, verse two into all the way through uh, chapter three. But we do know what happened in chapter three where God began to reform with a renewed kingdom presence called Eden. And as he did, he put Adam in the garden and he said, take dominion over the earth. Now, that's gonna be a key for you because if God already had established dominion over the earth, why would Adam have to do that? It appears that God set up the Garden of Eden, which was probably much more than a little patch of woods, much more than some butterflies and a few trees. It was probably pretty expansive, but didn't cover the entire earth. And it had a boundary because we see the snake comes in over the boundary and has a dialogue, not really the snake, it was the wicked one, the other king of the other kingdom, speaking through something that seemed normal, natural, the, the, the snake, the serpent. We watch um, as that happens, we begin to get an understanding that in establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, the Garden of Eden, there was a command to Adam and Eve to take dominion. In other words, push out this kingdom I've placed you in as my representative to establish my kingdom on the whole earth. And we watch that play out as Adam's placed there, the dialogue that God gives to Adam on what he is to do. And we begin to understand that Adam is an apostle to the earth. Um, not like the New Testament, not like the apostle Paul. That word is a little bit differently used there, but the idea would be of an apostle is you are God's representative. He's placed you there. And in, in our case, in Adam's case, he literally was made in the image of God. He was the image bearer of God, not just in his appearance, but also in who he was and what his mission was. So God placed Adam on the earth to be God's representative to fulfill the will of God, which was to 
basically to conquer the whole earth or colonize the whole earth. I know that word gets a bad rap, but when you really study um, the colonization of Rome, although they were a brutal, brutal culture in establishing their culture over the earth, they brought running water and, and septic services and commerce and economy. They took chaos and poverty, and by their systems, they were able to establish, at least from the perspective of the function of, of communities, a better way to live. Now, you can say you love, you, you hate um, European colonization of the world. And listen, I, racism aside and slavery aside, one thing that you begin to discover is the overall global um, poverty level has dropped with the influence of bringing fresh water to communities and establishing housing and transportation. I believe that that's part of the idea of what God's heart was. However, we're human beings and we mess it up pretty well, Okay. So that idea of colonization from a kingdom of heaven perspective was, was nothing but good and pure and true. But we also watch as God set Adam up there to be that apostle, the other kingdom's king attacked the kingdom and the garden. And we watch him come in and whisper into the woman's ear and deceive her. And I would say the biggest problem that we have in our world today is, right, does it, it's not even really sin, it's deception. Because deception is the very thing that motivates almost all sin. Anytime I've sinned, it's because I've bought into something that's contrary to God's word. And so I chase, it, chase the thing I'm looking for a different way. And it always leads me less than what I expected. It's, it's never been the way that when I do it God's way. And so that's certainly what Adam and Eve experienced. God told them, worship me only, go and take authority. And the moment that they surrendered their authority to the snake. Basically, what they did as the, the apostolic representatives, they should have spoken truth to this deception. They should have taken dominion over this voice. They should have pushed this voice back. But because they didn't, they actually submitted to that voice, and they surrendered their position of authority, their position of apostleship to that God of this world. And so we pick it up, um, this quote, uh, that we read last week or a couple weeks ago. I shrunk it down because it seemed for a quote, it was awful lengthy. Um, but Satan's visit was not just some opportunistic child's attack. I know we've got these great Bibles that we give to children and it shows the snake in the garden and we, we think it's just a, a moment in the day and something happened and woohoo, he tricked them. All out. Raina, excellent job. Way to not sweat. <laughs> Boss lady. Um, Satan's visit was not an opportunistic trick. It was an intensely violent attack. It's not what you're seeing in the picture books of your kids. It's an intensely violent attack against the kingdom's presence on earth. 
It is a despisal of what's going on in that garden and who that represents. It's a despisal of the threat of what could happen if this apostle is successful. It's a despisal on what will happen all around the globe if this, this image bearer of the God of heaven stays with the journey, stays with a task, walks in his authority, and imposes the will of God on this earth. And so this attack was... Um, was a violent attack against God's kingdom presence on earth, against that apostolic leader, against all of the citizens present and future of that kingdom. It's also the attack against the kingdom's mission on earth and ultimately against the king himself. But this is what I said last week. It's the same violent attack because you are Adam. God has established you to walk, to rule, and to reign within the kingdom of God in your life. Once you say yes to Jesus, the ground you begin to step on in your life becomes kingdom ground. And as you grow to follow Jesus, you are establishing his kingdom in your life and pushing it into the lives of other people. The people who were baptized last week, uh, most of them walked into this church one day and they were a part of a different kingdom. And then there happened that moment somewhere in the worship and somewhere in the singing and the praying that all of a sudden the, the, the kingdom of this world, the only thing they could see, the curtains opened up and they saw the kingdom of heaven and they were drawn. They didn't, oh, Jesus, you're real. You want me to follow you? And they stepped across and at that moment they stepped into the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's kingdom of heaven is not for when you die. It's for when you live, when you truly live. It's when you step into the kingdom and you begin to establish the authority and the will of God in your own life. And it starts out small, a ring around you, but you begin to lay your hands on your house, your property, your future, your children, your families, co-workers, and you watch the kingdom be extended. And as we baptized people last week, that's just, uh, I think it was five people, maybe six people, um, and people at the end will jump in and get wet, okay? So you're expanding the kingdom on this earth, and they're gonna go, and they're currently establishing the kingdom in their own lives and reaching out to other people because last week, some of those people invited people who are not in the kingdom to experience the kingdom of heaven. And listen, there's no experience like feeling the presence of God experiencing that kingdom. And it will, it will take care of its business for itself. It's not reliant on getting every note correct. It's not reliant upon doing everything exactly right. It relies on our trust in the Holy Spirit to reveal kingdom truth to people. It's a supernatural thing. There's no preaching on this earth that will ever be good enough in order to make that happen in somebody's life. But even the poorest of preaching, while coupled with a relationship with God, can open those doors. I'll never forget, we, I was going to um, take a group of students to a youth event that we had planned. First time some of the kids had ever been out of the state. We were in Connecticut, traveling into Massachusetts. I was, Rowena and I were young youth pastors, and we had set up this event at this campground, and somehow I got the dates mixed up, and we were showing up on a weekend. This wasn't even happening in this campground's mind. I don't know if you remember that. We snuck through the window. We got into the campground. We called the people. They're like, well, nobody's there this weekend. And then they sent somebody and got us all set up. Um, but it was amazing to watch the kingdom impact those students' lives. I remember a later, later event where one of our youth leaders brought a friend. I think they had interest in them. And normally we're a little bit concerned about that and say, well, this might not be the best thing, best time for this person to come. But the kids were exhausted while we were there. They had a long drive to this place. And I remember I was supposed to have an opening night message and I preached and I was preaching on Jesus and giving your life to Jesus. I've never seen more people yawn in an audience ever in my life. And it wasn't because 
I, I don't know why it was. It was hot in there. That's why we make it snow in here, because it keeps you awake. That's me. Blame me. It's not anybody else. Yes, the thermostat's working exactly the way that we want it to. Because if you're staying awake, but there's more yawns, and I'll never forget, I was bummed out because this young guy is a young firefighter in probably about 23, 24 years old. And after I felt like I had, you know, laid the biggest goose egg ever on the planet, and we we're getting the kids down for the night, and just kind of, I was kind of like licking my wounds without anybody knowing, he began to open up to me that that was the most profound message he had ever heard, and that that night he had said yes to Jesus. And I could tell it wasn't, he didn't just say yes to Jesus. It was, he was born again. This was somebody brand new. And I was amazed because I was like, you got saved listening to that? I mean, it was still truth, but it shows you that it's not based on talent. It's not always based on uh, the technology or the presence. Now, I would say it's the greatest message on the planet, so let's wrap it up in a good envelope. Did you hear what I said? We want to lay it out in a way that it's attractive to people, but we don't want to trust the lights or the technology. We want to use those to open doors but we want to make sure the message is strong. And even more important than the message are the people who are connected to God who are connected to the message. That's the key. And so you are Adam. That's why you're here on this earth. Not to be silent, but to live out your life in a way where people are looking at you saying, man, what's going on in that guy's life? I want to know what's going on. And I hope you're experiencing that. Be bold. You don't have to talk about Jesus out loud at work for people to be like, man, there's something different about you. Because you'll go through some wind, you'll go through some trials, and when it doesn't put you down crying on your knees, needing a safe space, but you rise up and be like, we got this. They're going to be like, well, who, what, who are you? This is terrible. How, how are you? Listen, I got someone watching out for me. And then after work, you can tell them the person who's watching out for you if they give you the opportunity. And trust me, that is, mm, that's a fragrance, man, that's life. Anybody? Are you alive today? Because, man, I feel super alive. All right, buckle up. Yeah, buddy. Shane, listen, if you see anybody's dozing off, I give you full, you, we talked about what to do, right? Oh, yeah. We've handed out uh, paintball guns to our, uh, so if you get a little thwap in the back of the head. Well, we might up the ante, not just if they fall asleep, if they're not participating at a level that's appropriate with what's being preached. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, I love you guys. Um, so I want to talk to you today specifically about seven um, then and now attacks that we see in the garden. Because there's s at least seven that I can identify that's like, whoa, that's in the Garden of Eden, but I see it happening here on earth. Attacks that were either potential attacks or actual attacks against Adam and Eve that are how you're being attacked in today's day and age. And again, I've watched these play out and just want to draw them to your attention so that you will not be ignorant to, as the Bible says, do not be ignorant of Satan's schemes. He doesn't have like some, he, he doesn't play checker, he doesn't play chess, he plays checkers. It's the same thing over and over. It's like clockwork. The moment you get excited about God, what happens? Wind and waves. Or about the time you make a decision to follow Jesus and you're single, the devil sends somebody to attract your attention. Okay, number one, um, in the beginning, that, that's under attack right there. In the beginning, it's a violent attack against the reality of God and his kingdom. How many people are running around saying, I don't believe in God. That's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I don't see any proof of it. 
That's like finding a welder out in the woods and saying, ah, it just evolved. There would have to be a creator of that welder. It has to have purpose. When I look at you, you are not an evolution. You are a creation. This whole world, the way the the biology and the ecology and all the other ologies all work together, it's clear that there's intelligent design. When I look at this world, it's clear that there was a creator that had a desire to do something. To say that there's no such thing as God, honestly, in my mind, after experiencing God, is the most insane lie that anybody would believe. It's like saying nobody built that car. It's like saying that nobody made that house. It just grew out of the ground. A little bit of wood fell and some some nails shot through a storm and all put everything together. When you look at the world, it's clear that in the beginning, God. This is a violent attack against the reality of God and his kingdom. Notice it's an attack on the God, not all gods. We see that all over the place. Culture shows respect to all religions except Christianity and Judaism. Hear what I said? You realize we're connected, and I'll get into some of that later. But it's no problem at all. You have to respect. You cannot draw a character of of Muhammad, the prophet. It can get you in real trouble, but you can say Jesus Christ as a cuss word on any TV show there is. And it seemed to be acceptable. There are so many things we're not allowed to say. Try, Try me. Say them at some point at work tomorrow. But you could use Jesus' name in vain almost in any one of those circles and no one will blink. You're not allowed to make fun of any other religion, mock anybody's belief that they don't celebrate holidays or they, do, they wear weird clothes under their clothes. You, you can't say anything like that. But the moment Christianity comes up, it's under diabolic attack. You know you experience it. What you need to stand back and see is this is not a form of, of, of spiritual racism. It is the attack on the kingdom. Don't be blind to this. There's an enemy. And the people you're dealing with, they are not the enemy. There is an enemy. The snake, the serpent was not the enemy. You understand he's the ultimate puppeteer. The wicked one, Satan, when you read the book of Ezekiel, he said, I saw you in the garden. And that's what Satan was doing. He uses other people. He uses culture. He uses social media. He will use your family, your friends to to spew this false doctrine. And it's always... if. So many people, for their parents, if you get involved with the church, whoa, you can watch out. You know, they're after your money. But if you went and joined a Wiccan or a coven, they wouldn't think twice. It's just, it's amazing how there's the attack on the kingdom. And buckle up, because this is just a small piece that I'm touching. I won't get controversial, but I'm going to dive in. In HR hirings, there's a tend to be welcoming to anything outside of Christianity, but a moment person in HR reveals that they value Christian principles, they're warned right then and there. This is not the place to bring that. It's fashionable to attack Judaism and Christianity. Just look at the protests all around the world, but if you ever protested another religion, you would immediately be marked as a supremacist or a whatever you would be marked as. If Christians po- protest anything anything, we are white extremists, and, and we're not white. I've, I've watched darker-skinned people protest things that are biblical, and suddenly they are white supremacists. How does that happen? How? The man's clearly not white. 
You know how it happens? Because there's a focused attack and it's a kingdom attack. It's really not, it's not racial, it's not skin color, it's kingdom focused. Mock Jesus, but not Allah or Muhammad or any other false prophet. There's no limit to using Jesus as a curse word. He has a middle name. I'm not sure what it is, but it begins with H. I learned that as a child watching some of my family members work on cars. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, check this out, and we've got some people in mental health. It's very rare for somebody in the uh, mental health issue uh, time of their life. I've been into some high security places where to go visit people who are having mental breakdowns. There's nobody running around that ward who thinks they're Allah or thinks they're any prophet. It is always they think they're Jesus or the devil. Why is that? I have literally had people who are suffering with diagnoses by doctors. You know, we would like to diagnose everything. But what's interesting is, because we put labels on demons these days, and what's so interesting is immediately as you begin to lean in and declare, declare the truth of God, man, there is a stirring in that person's life. Just like the demoniac who began to stir when Jesus showed up on the shore because there's something in the kingdom to play, okay? So the second attack, I wanna draw your attention. Is that okay? Good. And God said, let there be. There's a violent attack on the creative work of God to establish heaven on earth. This attack started with the uh, introduction, at least in our, our education system, God the creator, back in the 1800s on the teaching of Darwin as it was introduced. Prior to that, all of our science classes really taught from a perspective of creationism. And in the process of the 1800s, there was some pushback but during World War I, there was another push for teaching this evolution, and many states made it illegal to teach evolution, believe it or not. And then in 1960, actually 1968, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the laws that banned the teaching of evolution, and most schools leaned into an equal time approach. That hit in about the 80s and the 90s, where you would allow some conversation about creation and allow some conversation about evolution so that people could choose. Guess what? The scale has, for the most part, you're not allowed to teach creation now. What the U.S. Supreme Court said in the 80s, they determined that creation science is a religion, and to teach religion in the public schools is illegal, and therefore creation science is not science. But I would, I would challenge you that things that are being taught as science today are not scientific Plain and simple. They ignore the scientific reality of mathematical impossibilities. In fact, the right time and right place for chemicals for us all to have the exact same gravity to stick to the earth, but not so much that our blood isn't trapped in our ankles is somehow an evolution scientific idea. The chances of everything being able to come together through evolution, I'm not saying that there's not a, a, a change in species. I mean, on average, Americans are almost a foot taller today than we were 100 years ago. Is it because I need to stretch and grab onto apples to get my food? Well, maybe in 1,000 years they'll think so, but the th reality is, this is now an argument against this, nutrition has been more available to people as we've, we've established such a great system here in the United States for people being able to get what they need. It's called 
the marketplace. Oh, don't let me go down that road, Lord. It's called meritocracy. God, I'm just gonna say something. Jesus was not a socialist. I'm gonna look you in the eye and I'm not saying America's the greatest place here on earth. But I would argue that the system has made it one of the greatest places that I'm now a little concerned about. Jesus actually taught that if he gave you one, Jesus told parables, I'm gonna give you one, I'm gonna give you five, and I'm gonna give you 10 based on your abilities. That's not socialism. Socialism says if we got 15, you get five, you get five, you get five. And if you turn yours into 10, we're gonna give your five over to them. You know what Jesus said? If you didn't do something with your one, even what you had was gonna be taken away with you and given to the guy with 10. We are stewards for what God has given us. You are called to make something out of what you've been given. Taking from other people is never going to fulfill a kingdom principle. There's no sense of fairness. I've told my kids from day one, uh, there's no such thing as fair. Not in this house. How come she gets it? Because that's she, not you. Different rules for our different kids. What kind of parenting is that? That's smart parenting. That's understanding this kid needs something different than that kid. And you might need to be monitored 24-7, and that one can just run, run and do their thing because we don't have any, not had a track record of having to worry. The moment we get a track record of worrying, then we'll put them in lockdown like you. None of our kids were in lockdown, okay? So our kids were great. They still are great. Their grandkids are great. I, I will say this. Steve and Mary, you guys, I'm so proud of your parenting. You have raised amazing kids. I, yep. I'm just gonna tell you. I walk across the kitchen to pick up something. And my grandson says, Papa, you're doing a good job. Good job, Papa. I'm like, it's just walking. <laughs> but I must be doing it with some style. I've never seen kids more happy and more exciting. Although I will say the little girl, she's a tough cookie to crack, if you know her. <laughs> I'm figuring out the code. She's great. She just... Not going to let you know she's, that you're her favorite. But deep down, I know who her favorite is. It's grandma. <laughs> um, I know how I got on that. Um, you know, science has had to be absolutely ignored. The law of entropy says that things in order tend to go to disorder. They don't go to better order. A snowman that you build out on the lawn, he doesn't become bigger and stronger and grow a nose. In fact, he melts. The sandcastle, it breaks down. A brand new house never lived in will deteriorate faster than a house that is lived in. It's the law of entropy. Things in our cursed world, they don't get better. And to say that we just evolved to a place of betterment, most, most biological um, irregularities actually make the, the individual or the specimen worse off. Almost always. We are to continue to establish the idea that God has created a work from himself on this earth, and we are to take dominion to establish his kingdom here on earth. Slide number three, or point number three. He said to the woman, that's another attack, not, not on women. We like women here. <laughs> Some women I really like, okay. Song of Solomon, man. It's in the Bible. Spend some time there. Those, you guys lacking a little romance, wife, have them read the book of Song of Solomon. 
I'm going to start reading it when I get home. Anyways, so um, this is a violent attack on God's apostles. You as a Christian, while you were here prior to stepping into the kingdom, you were already a prisoner. You were already under siege. Not much attack needed to be waged against you because you were trapped by the ankle into this other kingdom. But you're going to find the moment you step into the kingdom of heaven, oh, buddy, it'll break loose for a while. Because if you read the story about the seed sown by the sower, there was, in one of the cases, the seed was thrown on the ground where all of a sudden there was the cares of this world grew up and was just shaking the guy around and he, he, he burned out. The seed died because he was under the attack either by the wicked one specifically, the seed was taken away, or the cares of this world were overwhelming. And so um, it's a direct attack, not on the soil, but on the soil that has now received the word. I, can, I bet almost all of you, every time, not only you said yes to Jesus, but you begin to step into new ground. You want to go to a new, new level in, in, in Jesus. I watch it like clockwork. About the second you sign up for internship, I'm like, okay, three, two, one, chaos breaks out. You sign up to get involved with the ministry. Three, two, one, chaos. It's an attack against the kingdom because you're an apostolic leader in your world. And if he can minimize you, why would he attack you? Because even though you're in the kingdom of heaven and he's lost you, to minimize your impact in taking authority over your kingdom or expanding the kingdom, he wants to... I mean, the last thing the enemy wants you to do is to step into a leadership or a place of serving in the church. You know why? Because then you'll, you'll discover purpose. And then you'll discover that you can lead. Then you'll discover that you can make a difference. You know, I mean, it's, he's got he's to kill it, when it before it starts. And so every time you want to go to the next level, there's an attack. Because you're an apostle, you're God's representative. I mean, you see the attack against Adam. He's God's representative. And later on, the attack against Abram's family. God chose Abram as the people of the earth. God also, you can see in Scripture, the attack against the Jewish nation. Do not be confused by the news, what's going on, okay? I want to make something clear. Read the Bible. God has given that group of people a specific swath of land, okay? Read the Bible, this is not my opinion, God. Now, I would say that people are imperfect in the way they run a nation, just like the way we run our nation is imperfect. But I have to stand where God's word is God's word, plain and simple. And actually, the creation of the Israelite nation, I would never support them doing anything wrong. And at the same time, that land belongs to them. In fact, when you look at who surrounds their land, it's all one nation. And all of these lands have been conquered by wars. And the idea of giving stuff back, I mean, we, who would we give stuff back to? I mean, where do you trace it down to? Everybody's taking something from somebody, but there's only one plot of land on this earth that God declared, this belongs to them. I know that might cut against what your college teachers are te teaching you, but the Bible says that to pray for the nation of Israel, the peace of Israel... And also that whatever, whoever blesses the nation of Israel will be blessed. They're God's people. They're imperfect. But if it, you understand that Jesus comes from the lineage of the Jews. When God said to Abram, I will make your sons and daughters like the sand on the seashores, 
He saw beyond Abram and the actual human lineage and saw all the way to Jesus. That's why the lineage traces all the way to Jesus from father and mother's birth sides. What he was really talking about was beyond Jesus to you and I. We are the engrafted sons and daughters, in a sense, of the nation of Israel. Don't be fooled by the narratives. You understand why there was the Holocaust, Do you understand what was going on there? It wasn't just people, white Aryans who felt like they were the superior race. It was the same attack as what was going on in the garden. Study the history, it's it's amazing. There's an attack against God's apostles. I'm gonna go for um, till 20 after, okay? So that you guys know. Gives me 10 more minutes, is that okay? Worship team, when it hits 1120, come up and I'll stop then. Okay, probably. (laughs) Is this okay to keep going? Yeah, I was going to go anyways, but thank you for. <laughs> while I'm going to say it again. While all people are under siege, God's apostolic people are always under siege. It's su- subtle, but it's tangible. We went through a pandemic. Bars and strip clubs were open. Church gatherings were closed. It made no sense because it's not a sensible equation. It's a kingdom attack. Casinos were open, prayer meetings were not allowed. Football players out on the field, churches fined, literally fined for gathering. Historical attacks, you just need to get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read through it, it's fascinating. Today's attacks, though, there are still people being attacked for their faith all around the world. You know the fastest growing C3 churches are actually in the Middle East right now? They have to meet underground. If you were to go online, and you'll see this in my notes, um, if you go to some of the websites uh, for for the Voice of the Martyrs, which is a modern-day documentation of people and people groups who are under attack for being Christians, there's some amazing stuff there. But let me tell you one story that some of you will know about a, a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A lot of books, a lot of writings. Before World War II happened and before the rise of Hitler, uh, all the Protestant pa- pastors were part of a an organization, and the government began to meet with them and have dialogue with them and get them to buy into the messaging. Very much like the world was trying to get us to buy into certain messaging through the pandemic and through some of the other cultural revolutions that we're experiencing. And there are actually churches, they're trying to find them. It's why we moved out of the school, because if I can't preach God's word, and I preach God's word in a school, and one of the parents hears me declare something, I'm not sharing my opinion. I I do share my opinion sometimes, but the word of God is not an opinion, and it's also not cloudy as to what it means at all. The reason why we declare truth is if you are sinking, only truth can provide that buoy for you to grab onto. If we celebrate your sinking, you are going to drown. I know for me, somebody declared the truth of Jesus, and, and it didn't really preach on my lifestyle, but there were many things about my lifestyle that I was celebrating that they did not celebrate. Remember when I first got saved, I still had a Playboy shifting knob in my car, and some girls in the church found out I had a car, and when they looked in, they were mortified, and I didn't know why. They should have been. There were things for my lifestyle. My sister had given me that as a Christmas gift. That's a, that's, it was normal to me. I thought it was cool. Um, Anyways, back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I don't know how he got over that. Um, You know, when initially this was going on, he despised what the Nazis were doing, but it became so violent. Uh, Many of the pastors were silent so that they could get along and their churches were allowed to exist. And when the attack got heavy, 
Dietrich left uh, Germany and he came to New York City and began to attend one of the well-known Bible colleges there. And after a little while, he became very convicted and he said this. He said, I've come to the conclusion that I've made a mistake in coming to America at this time. I must live through the difficult period in our national history along with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will have to face terrible alternatives of either willing the, uh, willing the defeat of their nation in order that the future of Christian civilization may survive or else willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying our civilization and any true Christianity. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make that choice from a place of security. So naturally he came back and as they clamped down on all the pastors, if you preach the truth of God's word, you were executed. And so at Dietrich's execution, one man who watched it recorded what he saw. He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer. Then he climbed a few steps onto the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after only a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I watched people as they quit coming to church during the pandemic, which we offered all sorts of church services because they were afraid that if their company found out that they were going to church, they would lose their jobs. The commitment to Jesus has been exposed in our nation at an all-time low. There were churches that shut their doors, and I understand in the first months, there was great concern about the, the reality of a disease. We want to protect people. It wasn't too far in, though, you started discovering really quickly that somebody's playing games with us. And as tough as it was, I give everybody a mulligan who maybe made some wrong, I made some wrong turns during that time. But I want you to know that there will always be a ploy to exterminate the kingdom of God and the church of the living God. And the Bible doesn't say meet when it's convenient or get, it says don't stop meeting, especially as we draw to the end. I've got friends that meet in underground churches in China. If they get caught, they're dead. You know what they do? They still gather. We had a funny moment where we were gathering at what used to be the hub on our church property, and we were online, and we provide masked gatherings for people who were, you know, their health was challenged. And then we had kind of a semi-middle gathering, and then we had a no-mask gathering. Of course, the people with masks were mad that I would have a gathering with people with no masks. I had people who were mad at me because I would lower myself to put a mask on my face, a muzzle, you know, over here. When I was genuinely new, we had some people who physically were challenged. I just wanted to be able to gather. But we knew that what we were doing is actually was not necessarily within the law. And I had people, some people tell me, how can you say you follow Jesus and not follow the law? Here's how. I could follow the law as long as it doesn't de defy the law of God. If the Bible tells me that I have to, like they told the Israelites, uh, Miriam, who had a baby boy, that she must have her boy killed, what did she do? She trusted God and put him in an ark of bulrushes, pushed him out onto the Nile. I don't know how I'll fulfill the word of God and live in this nation, but that one was an easy one. 
And I just warned our leaders, listen, police could show up at some point and it would be with a news crew. I mean, we're just a small blip on the radar, thank God. But so there came the day where I didn't know what was going on, but there was chaos over at the hub. And I found out after the sheriffs came plowing onto the property and driving out in the parking lot. And at first they thought they were coming to get us. And uh, what it ended up being, somebody had robbed the convenience store down the street and they were chasing them. But for a minute there, I was like, yeah, going to jail. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Come on, worship team, let's go. So certainly, Dietrich was, became a martyr for his faith. There's a special chapter in the book of Revelation about people who lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. You and I, we will openly confront social and political propaganda from this pulpit. I don't have any desire to be controversial, but I'm not gonna buy into uh, the world telling us lies that we don't address. It might cause us to not be liked, but you do understand Jesus and the disciples were not liked. I joke all the time, if he had, Jesus had lived in modern day, he would, be, uh, he would have been deemed a, a creation denier who was um, proposing um, false, what, what's, what's, the, what's the phrasing that we saw during the pandemic? When you posted something, you were a science denier. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. No, you don't? Okay. <laughs> Since I can't describe it, let's move on. Um, we will refuse to repeat lies even if our safety comes into play. That while everyone is welcome here and we will celebrate every person, at no time will we ever celebrate yours or my sin. We will repent for our sin. We'll ask God to forgive our sin. And that means there will be people who, and people who do come to our church that are not completely lined up with scripture and we welcome them in. But there's a level of influence that they can ever occupy. Once you want to step into leadership especially, and you, your life according to scripture has to reflect scripture. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to have settled some of the one-on-one things. Can't still be killing people for fun, no matter how bad a driver they are. I know some of you are this, that really bums you out, okay? There was a time where during the pandemic, I was gonna be forced to check everybody's vaccine card. I'm not checking vaccine cards or immigration cards or anything like that. Come all, come whoever will. Come and hear what Jesus has to say to you. You hearing me? You know that in 1946, we had the Nuremberg medical trials where the Nazis had tested drugs on many of the Jews. And we said, never, never again will human beings ever be allowed to be used as lab rats. You know that during that time, there's a company that you'll recognize called Bear. They now make Bear Aspirin. That during that time, one of their employees worked in the Auschwitz camp. And they, that Bear group, they contacted um, the camp and they required the use of 150 female inmates at Auschwitz. The Bear employee wrote to Rudolf Haas, uh, who was in charge. She said, the transport of the 150 women arrived in good condition. However, we were unable to obtain conclusive results because they died during our experiments. We would kindly request that you send us another group of women to the same number and at the same price. It's craziness. And it, history just repeats itself. Look, I love you and you know, if there's medical things you need to do, 
We'll love you and support you. I don't know what the answer is to that. I'm not a doctor. I, I, go to, I find Caitlin and I ask Caitlin. And I, I believe in lots of vaccines, but I don't understand why the title was put vaccine on this one because it hadn't even been tested and it doesn't work like other vaccines. I'm not trying to be, I just, for me, I made the decision on what I was gonna do and I've got many people in this room, you made a decision to do this, something different. I love you, I don't judge you, okay? But don't judge the person sitting next to you. And I'm not gonna check vaccine cards ever in this place. I won't, will tell you a quick story. Uh, this is me getting off the platform. I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'm gonna tell it because bad boys, bad boys. Pastor Rowena and I were going to Seattle to visit some pastors up in there, the area there who are within the C3 family. And the only way that we could get into this gathering, Pastor Phil was gonna be there speaking. It was at a big hotel. The only way you could get in is if you had a vaccine card. And I did not have a vaccine card to show. Who knew that there was an underground market where you could get a, a photocopy of a vaccine card? The paper was put in my hand. I didn't pretend like it was mine. I just walked through the thing and somebody just looked. It wasn't even my name on the card. If I'm wrong, I apologize to you right now. If that makes me worthy of hell, wow, I've done some other things that are far more worthy. Stand with me. You hit the fan. You didn't give me it, did you? You might, maybe you did give it to me. No, I don't think you did. All right. We're going to sing. Can we sing one last song? Okay. Look you in the eye. Father, I love these people, but you love them way more than I do. You got plans and destiny for each of them, and we're leaning forward into all the things that you have. We're going to watch Satan fall like lightning as we establish your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 